Good morning. We are going to continue on with our signs and wonders, the ten signs and wonders of Egypt. Um, one thing I'll say at the beginning of this is we're not we're not going to get into Passover today or Pesach because it's just a lot, and in order to get through the final five signs, I think it would be an injustice to give. Give it five minutes, which is not what it needs, and that'll be a later date. So, not that we're going to skip the Bible there, but we're just there's just not. I want to finish the finish the plagues here. Um, in review, two weeks ago, Moses has his first confrontation with Pharaoh and the magicians, and um, the battle of the reptiles there, and we see Moses getting ready. Moses was faithful in that, and then God starts with uh, the ten signs and wonders. And so last week we made it through the first five, and uh, just the lessons and different things that are coming through. There's, there's more lessons to glean from those. I'm just taking a really quick run through these. Um, again, the Egyptian way of life. Pharaoh is king, Pharaoh is God, and uh, he is a representation of Ra, um, later on, Atumra and Horus. And his child will be the same. There's a whole cycle of order that they believe is established through the Pharaoh. And that, that leads into the concept of Ma'at, which is this harmony and balance that the gods keep Egypt in. And it's Pharaoh's job to administer that harmony and balance into, into that. And so, so again, the, the source of life, the source of everything that's going on comes back to the Pharaoh and the gods. And uh, we know that to be not true. And so Yahweh is doing multiple things at this point. And he is, the Bible says that he's exacting judgment on those gods. He is bringing his people out of Egypt. And so he is creating that nation. Um, Egypt was an incubator. Um, but it was an incubator that they did not need to be in for so long. And so it was time to get the Hebrews out. And uh, that's where we were last week. And so the first sign, turning the Nile red with blood, um, the Nile was the source of all life of Egypt. It was the source of everything, economy, food. I mean, it was, it was everything. And so Yahweh is, is bringing forth the idea that he is the real source of abundance in life. Um, the second plague with the frogs um, has everything to do with fertility and childbirth and the fact that Pharaoh had killed Yahweh's babies, part of his nation. Earlier, um, three and four, Yahweh stops the worship of other spiritual beings with the lice and the stinging insects, and uh, they were not able to officiate their temple duties um, the family of Egyptian gods, they don't call them a pantheon, they call them an Ennead, and uh, their worship had stopped at that point, and Yahweh wasn't having it. In the Old Testament, when it says Yahweh is a jealous God, it means that Yahweh is a jealous God. You don't have any other beings above Yahweh or beside Yahweh, and uh, he means it. And the Egyptians did not recognize Yahweh. Pharaoh himself said, who is Yahweh? They had their own creator, God. Um, and so 
He's, he's, he's stopping the worship. For that point, the worship is stopped. And uh, the fifth plague, when he goes to the livestock, the livestock symbolized a lot of things in Egypt. They were large bull cults. And a lot of the gods get the horns of the bulls to represent the strength and the power of those and their ability to, to help with the livestock. Um, Yahweh puts a plague on the, the livestock, and their livestock is destroyed. Um, Yahweh is the source of strength and vitality, and the, the animal kingdom is her, his. Creation is his. He controls that. And so that leads us into the last, the last five here. And uh, we're going to work our way through it. We're going to see the gods that he enacted judgment on. Um, I'm not an Egyptologist. I've done the best that I can. There might be more gods that people feel were judged, and that's completely fine. Um, but this is kind of where I'm at. Exodus 9, 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of suit from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the magicians might have had some recovery, recovery time. It might have been time for those magicians. Remember, they're lector priest. They're ceremonial priest of the book that do the different sorcery and magical rituals in each of the, the temples. They're the ones that run the temples because the temples are sacred space. So they're not allowed. Now with the boils, um, they either physically, because of the boils, cannot do it, or just the fact that they're unclean again. They can't enter the temples. Um, I think that's why they bring the magicians up again. It's been a couple. It's been a couple signs since they mentioned the magicians, but they keep bringing them up. So there's this dominance over the human aspect of the gods too. Um, we don't know what the boils were. I mean, some people try to say that the boils were smallpox. I don't know. The Bible, Hebrews don't have a word. Ancient Hebrew doesn't have a word for smallpox. We don't know. So we don't know what it was, but it was bad. Um, the first god this, this comes to mind with this is Sekhmet. And Sekhmet is the daughter of the sun god Ra. and is one of the more important of the goddesses in the Egyptian pantheon. Um, she acted as the vengeful manifestation of Ra's power. Her nickname would be one of the eyes of Ra. Uh, Sekhmet is said to breathe fire, and the hot winds of the desert were likened to her breath. She is also believed to cause plagues, which were described as being her servants or messengers on people or animals. And although she is often called, even though she's making these plagues, she's also the one that can come and heal the plagues and ward off disease from the people. And uh, the desert part of it, the breath of fire, I kind of wonder if somehow the, the kiln and the soot from the kiln that fire, the dust, the sand that gets left over. Um, I think that plays in on that. Um, but yeah, so she was, the, she was the bringer of plagues and the stopper of plagues and um, the daughter of the sun god. And she could, not, she could not stand against Yahweh. She could not bring an end to those plagues. She was powerless. And then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, 
Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, and on your servants, and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and all your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been seen before in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send... Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field that is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. So with this one, this one's going to be pretty severe, and we'll look at the imagery here. Um, Yahweh has given a warning, like this is going to happen. Get your stuff inside, because it's coming. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and on every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt, and there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been seen in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet feel the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in its bud." But that wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. Again, food supply, destruction. Another thing to think about, um, they call it thunder and hail, and then they call it fire and hail in other places. I think we've talked about this before, but the ancient Near East mind, um, they didn't really have a word for lightning directly. And so lightning was referred to as fire at times because... You see this flash of light, it hits something, and then what's left? Fire. And so when it intersperses the fire, and so they're seeing hail, it's a hailstorm, severe lightning, and there are fires on the ground. Remember we talked about the one papyrus that talked about a lot of things burning from the hail and the fire. Um, so when you see the, the fire, you, the lightning, it's their interplay with lightning. They didn't really have concepts as far as terms for that until a later date. And now when we think of lightning, we don't think of lightning as fire, but for thousands of years they thought of lightning as a form of fire. We know that it's charged atoms and closer to what we call electricity and all that stuff. But in their minds, that's not how it was. So, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, well, I read this, the flax and the barley were struck down, 
but the emmer and the wheat were not. Keep that in mind. And so the Lord went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. All right, lots of gods and goddesses involved in this. Um, Tefna is the deity of moisture, of the moist air, dew, rain. So she's, she's the precipitation goddess. She's the one that controls all of that. And uh, Tefnut was depicted in human form, wearing a low, flat headdress topped with sprouting plants. So again, that interplay, that designing, as Moses writes us, he's designing us to think about the, uh, we think about the destruction of the fire, but they make a point, the destruction of the plants, the vegetation. Um, she had two children, Nut and Geb. Um, we're going to talk about Nut now because Nut was considered the, the goddess of the sky. Oftentimes, she's, when you see her in ancient Egyptian stuff, like her body is composed of just darkness with stars, and she's stretched over things like a dome. So this, this idea that ancient cosmology, that it's a dome and um, all of that thought. Uh, she is seen as a star-covered nude woman arching over the earth, and then she also has her cow-bull form that once in a while pops in. And uh, she was depicted wearing the water pot, um, a sign that identifies her. And her name actually means sky. So the idea that she is the controller of the sky. Not to be confused with those that are set up for the sun and moon. She's the actual sky. She takes care of all the stuff that is within our atmosphere, what we would say our atmosphere. Um, and then the last one is important. Every, every pantheon of gods has a storm god. And um, Set was that storm god. He is the god of deserts, storms, chaos, and violence. And, uh, and foreigners. He is the god for the foreigners to worship as they come into Egypt, which is interesting. Uh, in some accounts, he had relationships with the foreign goddesses Anat and Astarte, who we refer to as, sometimes we call her Ashtaroth in the Old Testament, or Ishtar. Um, so he, he dated outside his family, so to say, as far as he's brought up in other, um, other religious families, other families of gods, especially the ones that uh, the Hebrews are going to go out and face in, in the Promised Land. Um, he would control storms, and his storms would produce destruction. And so um, he is seen with the ability to throw you know, lightning thunderbolts like various other uh, storm gods like Baal. Baal's got the... Uh, we don't know exactly what kind of animal he is because when they, he actually shows up in mythology as like this weird, um, like a chimera, like some kind of hybrid beast at times. Um, sort of like some of the hybrid beasts we read about in the heavens. And um, some people think he's got an aardvark head, but the Egyptians really didn't think he had an aardvark head. It's just weird with the two, the two protruding things. Um, we don't really know a whole lot about exactly who Set's supposed to be, other than um, his, you see him sometimes, he's got, the, he's got like a trident thing. And the trident represents lightning. So when you see Zeus, Zeus is originally the guy with the trident because he's the lightning god. 
That's what the trident. It didn't actually have anything to do with water, but we've kind of turned it into a water thing. So when you see Baal with a trident, uh, Baal's trident is lightning because he's the storm god. It's originally why depictions of Satan, uh, we get the Satan with the pitchfork. That pitchfork was supposed to be a trident originally. We kind of turned it into a pitchfork in our modern day. But he held that because Satan was the prince of air. He was had that power over the lightning. So there you go. There's your trident. Um, but that's Set. That's kind of Set's idea. And Yahweh is making a mockery of all three of them. Putting them to open shame. Exodus 10. And then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, that you may tell in the hearing of your, in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am Yahweh. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And then they shall fill your houses and the houses of your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came on earth to this day. And then he turned out and he went from Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So at this point, Pharaoh's people are done. They've seen the might of Yahweh and uh, it's got to stop. They're actually taking on their God king. And so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locust, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land and all, of the, all that the hail is left. And so Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all the day and all the night. When it was the morning, the east wind had brought the locust. The locust came up all over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts that had never been seen before, nor will ever be seen again. And they covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. So I want to stop right there with that because there's a couple ways you can read that. Um, have you ever, if you've ever seen pictures of Middle Eastern locust swarms and you've just seen the dark clouds, it could be that they were settled on the land and you physically couldn't see land. I'm more under the persuasion that they were so high as they came in from the sky that they probably darkened out the sun quite a bit. And so the, dan- the, the land was darkened. That's kind of how I take it. Um, either way, it's miraculous. Um, and they, an- they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh hastily called Moses... And Aaron said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. 
Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. And so he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locust and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. So, for whatever reason, this one freaks him out. And I think that this is the one that freaks Pharaoh out the most, because I think, I think it was the darkness. I think it was the idea, you've got to remember that the sun is everything in Egypt. He is the representation of the sun. And the blotting out of light that this starts with, um, I think that's what freaked him out. I mean, he does literally have nothing left. Um, there's nothing really left to destroy. There's nothing really left to take away. And now you've, you've darkened my land. And I, I think that was it for him. Um, but it still wasn't done. And we'll see after they actually are released. Um, it doesn't really talk about Pharaoh's heart anymore, the hardening of his heart. And you're going to see that when they are released, he still can't stick to his word and he will pursue them into the desert. And Pharaoh is just not to be trusted. Um, this one with the locusts, we're not exactly sure. There is a god named Sehenim who is the god that protects fields from locusts. That's like his purpose. He is a minor god. He's not in the upper families. Um, he's mentioned multiple times. There are many of the gods of Egypt that had roles in protecting agriculture, specifically certain types of agriculture. Um, they might be, there might be a god who is a major god, but also has a subtitle, takes care of the olives. Like it's, it's one of those things. That's kind of how they had it all represented. So we don't really know exactly. Um, but if he is actually blotting out the sun, it's like round one of vengeance on the sun gods, which is possible. Um, but you got to remember that the gods controlled all the crop life. Everything that grew, all the livestock, that was all the blessing of all these various gods. And now they've been choked off completely. Exodus 10. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. I don't exactly know what it means to feel the darkness, so I don't know if there's like some heaviness to it. Unsure. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did they rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Um, again, there's lots of allegory there with the world is dark. And only with Yahweh's people is the true light still there. All that symbolism that's there. The miracle of light is something that does repeat with the Hebrews as we go on, even in the intertestamental period with, uh, with why they celebrate Hanukkah now was this preservation of miraculous light for the people. And so that's a repeating pattern for Yahweh in the symbolism of light. Um, but Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go, also must go with us not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take off, take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. 
But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. The blotting out of the sun and moon, now you've gotten to the top echelon of the gods. And I think that's the reason they're the final, these are the final ones. Um, Ra, or Amun-Re, or Ray. It goes by different names. Um, after the rebellion of Thebes against the Hyskos, which were a, a group of people within Egypt, um, Amun became the natural importance god. Um, and they fused him with another god, Ra. So you get, you get Amun-Ra, um, not the football player. There's some football player now in the NFL whose name is Amun-Ra. Why would you name your kid that? I don't know. I feel like that's just asking for trouble. On his own, he was also thought to be the king of the gods. Um, Amun-Ra in this period from the 16th to 11th centuries BC, which is when this exodus is taking place, held the position of the transcendental, self-created creator par excellence. So he would be, in concept, their Yahweh. Um, With Osiris, Amun-Ra is the most widely recorded of the Egyptian gods. In the laden hymns, Amun, Ptah, and Ra are regarded as a trinity, who are distinct gods, but with unity and plurality. Um, he is the solar god and the creator god. Um, a lot of historians will try to say this is where the, the Christians later on got their concept of a trinity. And uh, they try to do distinct things to say. You can look into it. It's just kind of bogus. Their idea of a trinity is not the exact same type in, in how it works is what we believe within a trinity. And... Uh, I mean, it's counterfeit. Um, and as we find more stuff, we realize it's, it's pretty distinctly different. But the whole Trinity idea is not exactly absent in other places, which means there's a bit of truth there even early on. Um, the Hebrews, there are a number of Hebrews who had this idea of the two powers of heaven, um, which was fine. You could actually have that thought. It wasn't considered heretical until about... 300 BC or AD, 200 AD. So even the Hebrews were fine with this binatarian view. Um, but then after that, when the Christians came up with the Trinity, we had to squash that binatarian view of pre existent person with Yahweh, person God with Yahweh. So Amun Ray was one of the big ones. Um, as far as the sun, Kansu is the, is the moon one, an ancient Egyptian god of. He is the moon. His name means traveler. And this kind of is, I think it's the whole idea that the moon, they thought the moon, you know, the moon is traveling, the sun is traveling, even though the moon and sun really aren't traveling during our days. Though they are technically, the moon is kind of traveling. Um, But the idea that they were traveled across the sign, the sky, along with Thoth, he marked the passage of time. So you got to remember when it says darkness for three days, it's not just the sun. The moon is squashed too. And, um, Kanzu was instrumental in the creation of a new life in all living creatures. The idea that there were cycles and he would mark the passage of time along with Thoth. So they were outside making time happen too. So um, three days of absolute darkness. We have digital ways to mark our time and to keep our time. But when you are ancient, you don't really 
You don't have stars, you don't have moon, you don't have sun, you really don't know how much time has passed since it became dark. It's a weird concept for us. We'll just look at our phones, we'll look at our clocks, but for them, they literally, it was just dark, and they have no way to know how much time is passing. And so that's also miraculous to think about that Yahweh has stopped time, because all their time is based on the, the heavenly bodies. And so Yahweh has control over time. It's not Kansu who controls the moon and helps with time. It is Yahweh. He can stop time. Um, it's just it's an interesting thought to think about how we would measure time if we didn't have what we had. And we were back in the days with them. Exodus 11. So we're going we're gonna to go into the 10th plague here, the 10th sign. We're going to skip over the Passover, um, Passover section because Passover needs to be its own thing. And uh, we'll kind of finish this up. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask, every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So this kind of tells us where we're at with the people of Egypt. And I I mentioned before, Yahweh is giving some of these people a way out. There's been warnings. Get your people in the field. This is going to happen. And this is a continuation of that. The people respect Moses. They know that whoever he serves has the ultimate power. Um, And the Hebrew people are living in a land untouched by the last of these plagues. And so that's speaking of something. And so now they're going to go ask for gold and silver and jewels and all the things that are due to them. And so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, and you will know that Yahweh makes the distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So here we see the Moses anger flare up again. I doubt Moses wanted to deliver this word. I don't think Moses was happy about this. And then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Then we're going to skip. It goes into Passover, talks about the Passover preparations, the warnings, the list of how to do it. And so we're jumping to 1212. Um, And Yahweh said, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all Egyptians, And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night, 
and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve your Lord. And as you have said, take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Interesting end of it. Pharaoh now knows. Pharaoh is done. His firstborn is done. His line is broken in the traditional line. And now he knows, and he's asking Yahweh to bless him as they leave. And I find that very, that's just interesting. I had not caught that before. Um, the fact that that's just where he's at. Um, there is a time in Egypt, I don't know exactly the timing of it, but there is a time in Egypt where they, they convert to monotheism for a short time until it is declared heretical. And then that is kiboshed, and they go back to the old gods. Um, I don't know how it plays with the timing of this, but I do know that it happened. I remember that from my classes. Um, I would be curious to see if that would help date the, if this makes sense a little bit with that. The last god I think that's getting it is Osiris. He is the god of fertility. Again, lots of gods of fertility. They make different things go. But he is the god of the afterlife, the dead. Uh, he has power to resurrect and power to give life. And again, with the vegetation in ancient Egypt, um, he was the protector of Pharaoh and in his, and his line. So he's, he's supposed to protect Pharaoh in the Pharaonic family uh, in life and in the afterlife. And uh, he judges. and He's the Lord of the afterlife. And uh, he was not able to resurrect anything. And we get to see later Yahweh is the Lord of the resurrection. And he puts the kibosh to this Lord of resurrection here. The other 10th plague is on Pharaoh directly. Remember, Pharaoh is considered a god. Um, this plague was a judgment on all the Egyptian gods, including Pharaoh himself, who was considered a god. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh had killed the sons of Israel, and now the Lord has killed the firstborn sons of Egypt. The future Pharaoh dies on the same level, meaning his son, the Pharaoh's son, the future Pharaoh dies on the same level as the animals and the slaves, not as a god. And for the prophecy that was that the firstborn of man, female slaves, and cattle would die. Um, it's dark. It's dark. I was talking to Rob last week, and Rob mentioned, like, this is dark. This is some dark stuff. Uh, it is some dark stuff. What does this remind you of a little bit? Another book of the Bible. Anybody? A little bit of Job. Lord's ability to take away and all that. What else? There's another book where almost all ten of these plagues are represented in images of things that are to come. Revelation, yep. Revelation has all of these cycled through it. If you look for the plagues in Revelation, you actually will find all of the plagues in Revelation. And so it's interesting we always talk about the cycles and the repetitions of the Bible, and uh, they just get revisited on us again. Uh, lessons this week. Real quick, Yahweh is both the healer and protector. He takes out the healing, protecting gods. Yahweh created the weather systems. He can step in and direct it when he pleases. Only he can stop chaos. Yahweh ultimately controls life cycles and sustenance. Even the smallest among creatures recognize only him. Yahweh hung the sun and moon, only he can provide light. In him all things have been. That gets used a lot, right? That line. Uh, life itself bows to Yahweh. Death and resurrection only bow to him. He places kings on thrones and all rulers are subordinate. 
Uh, and then again, he breaks the family of gods. The Ennead bows to Yahweh. So this is a tale of that happening. This is, this is how it went. The bigger questions at the end of this, um, how does this impact the future nation? What is this going to do to impact the Hebrews? What does this say to the Hebrews who know that there was a God of their forefather but had not met him? Um, what are they going to do with this information? It's the idea that these are the stories that you repeat to your kids. The stories are important. The oral tradition is important. This is what happened. How does this impact the thoughts of our New Testament writers? That's a good one for you to figure out. Go read some Paul. Find out how much of the Exodus is in Paul's writings. It's actually quite a bit. Um, how do we view this? Is Yahweh just? How do you wrestle with those? There's a lot of stuff going on here. And uh, those are great questions. Um, the Passover is the darkest of it all. Um, and there's darker things, though, that we wrestle with every day. We just, we just put it out of our minds. Do we tell people about the blood of the Lamb that covers death? We have the answer for the coming Passover at the very end. Um, that's on us. Do we tell people about Jesus? Jesus is the only thing that covers that. And um, do we partner today in bringing freedom? Think about spiritual warfare. Think about how we operate in our daily lives. Are we bringing freedom to people? Are we taking on uh, the demonic kingdom through the love of Jesus? Are we doing what Yahweh is asking us to do? Uh, there are people who still serve the darkness. And what do we do? So the Exodus still plays heavily. Again, I, wanna, I just want to emphasize the importance of understanding within spiritual warfare, there are multiple levels that are going on. And we have a role to play here in the physical realm. Yahweh takes care of stuff in the, in the supernatural realm, whether you want to call it the spirit realm or the second heaven, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a lot going on. What's our role? Um, something to think about. It's not a new concept. Again, it's not a new concept that Paul brings up. This was not like a revelation of how things work to Paul. This is what Paul was taught growing up. This is what Paul already knew. And he knew how Jesus affected all of this. And that's what Paul writes about. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy story. It's a heavy story. You have your hand up? Yeah. The resurrection thing, I, I will say... Um, as far as our capital, this is just a tidbit. The dome of Congress is actually supposed to represent that fertile dome, the, the female over, and in the, in the middle of the dome was to be a hole, which was to allow, they were originally going to rest George Washington there. They wanted to keep George Washington's body forever there, recognized in the capital. There was to be a hole in the dome so that the spirit of George Washington could go back in and out, just like some of the old temples. It was weird. But that, that, is, that is true. I, I did read that in the history classes. Washington was against that, which was one of the reasons that it, uh, it did not happen, was he was not. He refused to have his body laid there, and yeah. Also, he refused to take the extra presidency years and all that stuff. 
So, yeah, yeah. A lot of these, a lot of these things still permeate culture, Western culture. A lot of the stuff that comes out of the ancient Near East, and it's uh, some of it's sinister. Some of it people don't know, but some of it's sinister. All right. Um, we will end there, and I will pray. So, Lord, we love you. We recognize you as all powerful. We recognize you as creator God. We recognize that you hold all things into being. Lord, that without you, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart quickly. We thank you for being a firm, loving father. We thank you that you're not fickle. And that you didn't just wipe them all out with pestilence. We thank you that you make ways for people. But ultimately, we thank you for Jesus Christ being the ultimate lamb of Passover. Lord, we thank you that you are the God of resurrection that you have defeated death. That we all have choices on whether we're going to see true death or not. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for all you've done. We love you. Help us to administer freedom to people. Help us to lead people out of their their kingdoms of darkness. We love you, Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.